Can I just say that was pretty beautiful? Yeah, we're, we're really fortunate with the worship teams that we have here. God has blessed New Hope greatly. I'm going to invite you to go. Go ahead. All right. I'm going to invite you to go to Genesis chapter 27, if you would, this morning, and we'll uh, get to that in just a minute. Maybe you have an electronic copy or a hard copy. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in the pew racks or in the, the seat racks in front of you, uh, in front, underneath those seats in front of you. You can follow along that way. But all the verses will be up on the screen as well. We'll, we'll dive into Genesis 27 in just a second. I had this image pop in my mind when we were doing that last song. Uh, just indulge me for a moment. There's a day coming when you're going to stand in eternity before the King of Kings. And in that moment, the recognition of the one who wears a robe, whose robe is so long, we're told according to Scripture, the train of his robe fills the entire temple. Now, in, in history, we're told that the longer a king's robe was, the greater his power and his reign. In other words, uh, the sovereignty of that king. So a, a robe that's so long that fills the temple would say, there's no one like this king. And in that day, if you think back to this song that we just said, praise God from whom all blessings flow, when he stands or you see him mounted on that white horse, you're going to be so awestruck in that moment, you're going to say, you died for me? The king of kings, the God of glory? I'm so humbled that that one would choose to die for my sins. How about you? God of all gods, king of all kings. He's worthy of all the praise that we can give him. And I'm so glad we get to study his word together this morning. Before we do that, would you pray with me? We'll ask God to teach us through his word. Father, I thank you for this moment that we can step into the reality that you set standards for our life. You set expectations Yet we recognize that we fall short. And so we come together to look at your word, to see who we are to you, who you are to us, and to be able to respond better. So God, I ask right now that you would teach us through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who is present in this place, your spirit. Use the spirit, Father, to guide us and direct us and give us wisdom so we can apply it to our life. We pray for this in the matchless name of Jesus, our King, and all God's people said, Last week when we were together, we saw that when we make bad decisions, that God is the God of second chances. And we need that. We need a God of second chances. We need the God of third and fourth and fifth chances, right? Because we understand we need redos. Well, this week, what you're going to see is how that same God works even in bad circumstances, even in difficult decisions, especially in places where we've even had deceit in our life. Deceit, difficult circumstances, bad decisions, and ultimately he can work through those to shape all things together for good, according to what Scripture says. Romans 8, 28, look with me on the screen. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. You're going to really need to remember that as we work through Genesis 27 this morning because you're going to see some things that go pretty bad. You're going to see deceit and corruption and vulgar behavior. It comes out of Genesis 27. And I'm here just to kind of encourage you this morning, because if you think that your family has problems, you're about to see a seriously messed up family, all right? And you're going to come away from this, so be of good cheer, New Hope. You're going to see that God can work in mighty ways, even through families that are messed up this badly. 
Here's a quick summary for you. In Genesis chapter 26, which we're not going to get to this morning, just kind of an overview for you, there's some things that set the backdrop for 27. So let me touch on it for you. It says this in verse 1. Now, there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. The Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. Yet, it is right after God makes that commitment to him, and it's right after God pours out his blessing and commits to protecting him that Isaac blows it, and he falls into this do-it-yourself mode of self-preservation. Watch verse 6. So Isaac lived in Gerar when the men of the place asked about his wife. He said, she is my sister, for he was afraid to say my wife, thinking the men of the place might kill me on account of Rebekah, for she is beautiful. See, Isaac repeats the exact same thing that his daddy did. And you see surfacing this line of deceit that runs through the family, deceiving when it serves self-interest. And deceit leads to chaos, and the chaos produces more bad decisions, which really leads to a lot of grief. Yet, gratefully, because we serve the God of second chances, that even when we fail God, He never fails us. Amen? That's our God. So verse 12 shows us that God does exactly what God committed to do. Verse 12, now Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. How many of you would love to have a stock that returned a hundredfold? Especially right now, right? I'd love to have any investment that returned a hundredfold. In the same year, it returned a hundredfold. And so it says, and the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy, for he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household. Now, the remainder, remainder of chapter 26 is this overview of Isaac's life while he's managing his family's fortunes, which really blends nicely into chapter 27. So Isaac is slowly going to fade into the background. Know this, he's about 140 at this point. And it's at this point that the actions of Esau and Jacob, his two sons, take center stage as they become embroiled in deceit and manipulation, and they conspire to go around God. And here's an example for you before we leave chapter 26. Here's this little nugget that we're told, verse 34. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of Berai, the Hittite, and Basemeth, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah because they're vulgar in their behavior. They have no use for God, and they reject the things of God, these two wives that he's taken. And they're Hittites, meaning they're people who rebel against the things of God, and so it brings grief into the household. And so the picture here is that there's this mental anguish because, well, frankly, because they're unequally yoked. The, the family follows after God, but yet these two wives he brought in doesn't. So Esau's actions are clearly revealed here. He's revealing his own true heart, what's really going on inside him. Because by taking these two wives, he's refused the command of God. And he's refused his own father's example. And by choosing these Canaanite women who are vulgar and very ungodly people, he's showing this total disregard for God's standards. And it's revealing his innermost heart attitude. And what makes it really hard is this. Esau knew better. He knew that he wasn't supposed to do this, but he chose his own path anyways. And so God says to him, you know, it's because of these kind of difficult decisions 
that you've made. There's no way you're going to get to be the leader of the family, let alone the leader of the nation. So God's going to keep him from the principal position. So right out of the gate, before we start into 27, we find bad decision being compounded by bad decision, and then it gets really amplified in chapter 27. Here we go, verse 1. Now it came about when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see, that he called his older son Esau and said to him, My son, and he said to him, Here I am. Isaac said, Behold now, I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, please take your gear, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare a savory dish for me such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, so that my soul may bless you before I die. Now the blessing that he's talking about here, he's speaking of the patriarchal blessing. There's a blessing that the progenitor of the family could pass on. Abraham passes it on to Isaac. Isaac can pass it on to one of his sons, but there's only one, and he can't give it to both. Now, what we've read here, remember this, it just immediately follows after Esau has taken these two pagan wives, which I told you is a major disrespect of God. So Isaac is completely wrong in this directive, and it's greatly amplified by treating his son's disrespect of God so lightly that he comes right around and says, I'm going to bless you, even though he's rebelled against God. Now, that's an issue, but it's not the issue. The bigger issue is this, God already chose Jacob. God already said that Jacob would be the one who would lead the family, who would lead the nation. You remember last week when we looked at this, that when Rebecca was pregnant with twins, she went to God and said, why are they warring within my womb? God said, there's two nations within you, Rebecca. Look with me on the screen. Verse 23, the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples will be separated from your body and one people shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. So the pecking order is made really, really clear before the babies are ever born. Now you can be certain, absolutely sure, that Isaac knew this info. I'm gonna show you how you know that for sure. So this is nothing more than sheer disregard of God's plan when he says, I'm gonna bless Esau. I'm gonna give the patriarchal blessing to my firstborn son, Esau. I'm not gonna give it to Jacob. And then to top it off, Jacob is the one who actually has the birthright. And according to Scripture and ancient traditions of the customs of those days, the patriarchal blessing belonged to the one who owns the birthright. So Isaac's eyes are not just dim physically. They're they're dim spiritually. He's actually seeking to move against God's clear directive. Now, put the pieces together that you learned last week and this week. We find that Esau has bartered away his birthright for a bowl of soup. You learned about that last week. And now we find Isaac is attempting to give away the patriarchal blessing for a plate of venison. I've had venison. It's good. It's not that great. So what's up with this? Why this strong desire for venison from Esau, especially before, underline the word before, especially before blessing him. He's really rich. Can't he have whatever he wants anytime he wants it to eat? Well, the answer is in verse 28, going back a couple chapters to chapter 25. It says, Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison. So he loves this son more because of what he gets from him. I'm sorry, it's so crass, but it's reality. 
is a crass reality. Here it is. He's an old man. He's very, very rich. He can have whatever he wants, and he just plain wants what he wants. But he knows he's operating outside of God's will. And he knows that he's pushing the envelope here. So apparently he's trying to further endear his son Esau to himself before he actually defies God, which is going to go terribly wrong. You'll see what I mean in just a moment. Go back to the statement that he made. Make me some savory food. Bring me the dish that I want before I die. Except, time out, he's not dying. He's going to live 40 years longer. He says, I don't know the day of my death, but I really, really want this and I want to do this. So he's saying, if, if my belly's full, my appetite is satisfied, I'm happy, I'm going to give my blessing to Esau. I'm not going to give it to Jacob. This is a really good moment to pause and just ask this question of ourselves. Like, how corrupt is the human heart? When we look at our own actions and our own decisions, like, how wicked are we really inside? Because we know that the desires of our flesh can take control, and many times they do, even in believers. And that, church, is why we need the fruits of the Spirit. We talked about this last week. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, meekness. What was that last one? Self-control. We really need that fruit of the Spirit, especially in moments like this. Because what you're looking at is Isaac is creating his own problems. His bad decisions are stemming directly from trying to put his son Esau before God. In other words, giving him preeminence. So, along comes Mama. Now enter Becky. Look with me at verse 5. Rebekah was listening while Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for the game to bring home, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Behold, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, saying, Bring me some game and prepare a savory dish for me that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, listen to me. And if this was a Hollywood movie, you'd see the camera fade away and the screen go black as she whispers in his ear. She's come up with a plan, and her plan is nothing less than pure deceit to trick her husband. For Jacob to fake that he's Esau because daddy is blind and he can't tell and they're twins. And so she's come up with a strategy. And in doing this, she believes that she's only giving God a little bit of a boost. In other words, coming up with a human solution to a God problem. This is exactly what you saw Sarah do. Go all the way back into the story of Abraham and Sarah. Sarah brings her handmaid to Abraham and says, well, I can't have children for you, so maybe my handmaiden Hagar can give you a child. How about if you sleep with her? To which I told you, Abram probably said, oh, okay, if you insist. <laughs> but it's a human solution to a God issue. So from her perspective, she's thinking, I'm just going to help God out. And here's how we rationalize things like this. Deceiving my husband is okay, and it's okay because he's not supposed to bless Esau, so I'm just going to help God out here. Many people think that the Bible contains a proverb that it does not contain. Many people think that this proverb, God helps those who help themselves, is from the Bible. It's not. It has nothing to do with the Bible. 
It actually goes back to the time of Benjamin Franklin. And before Benjamin Franklin, he stole it from somebody else. That concept of God helping those who help themselves, having self-initiative is a very good thing. I'm not minimizing that. But Scripture actually says it's when we're helpless that God comes to our rescue. Romans 5, Isaiah 24, it talks about in the helplessness of our being, God sees that, and that's when He comes to our aid. So if Rebecca, if she had actually had real confidence in God, she would have allowed God to bring about the promise in His timing, not in her timing. Now, I'm not doubting the fact that Rebecca is precious to Isaac. I think as a husband and wife, they have a great love relationship. You saw that last week. And I think Isaac is precious to Rebecca. I think it goes both ways. So that means she had to have communicated to him what God revealed about the twins. And there's no doubt in my mind that Jacob often reminded his father that Esau sold me the birthright. He sold it to me for a bowl of soup, but he sold it to me. I have it. So Esau did this, and Isaac had to have known about it. Jacob, for his part, is not innocent in this story. He's completely complicit with his mother's plan. But then he compounds the mess by piling sin on top of sin. You're going to see that in just a moment. I wanted to see the Dr. Arthur Pink's commentary on the human heart about these kind of issues. Look with me at his quote. It's in your notes also this morning. He said this back in the 40s, to what fearful lengths will sin quickly lead us once we take the first wrong step? The one who walks in the counsel of the ungodly will soon be found standing in the way of sinners, and then it will not be long ere he is discovered sitting in the seat of the scornful. What he's referring to there is Psalms chapter 1, verse 1. It talks about there's a progression of sin. You take the first step, leads to the second step, leads to the third step. Let, let me show you Psalms 1 and watch this. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. There's the progression, but finish it out. But rather, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In, in whatever he does, he prospers. Now, go back to Becky's description to her son, Jacob. Her strategy is this. She says, go out to the herd, select two young goats, bring them in, skin them out. We'll butcher them, and I will serve that as venison. Your dad won't know the difference. And Jacob has this reaction. But my brother's really hairy. How are we going to pull that off? Some of you sent me interesting memes this week on hairy people based on what we looked at last week. That was a lot of fun. Put smiles on my face. But he's a pretty hairy dude, and Jacob knows that. And he says, I don't think we can pull this off. Watch verse 15. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her elder son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her son. And she put skins of the young goats on his hand on the smooth part of his neck. Okay, just for a moment. Can you just imagine that operation? All right, so they've got these goats they've just killed, which means the hides are pretty bloody. And she's proposing that they take that skin and they attach it to Jacob. 
So they're going to take this hairy skin and they're going to attach it to his hands. How did that work? I have no idea. And then they're going to smack it on the smooth of his neck because Isaac's likely to grab him by the back of the neck. So like, how hairy was Esau, <laughs> right? That you've got to put goat hair on him to fool his dad. <laughs> I've never seen somebody this hairy before, all right? So I'm just thinking the guy needs a treatment of some type. But he's got, now Jacob's got goat hair all over him and he's wearing his big brother's clothes. So he totally looks like he's going to some weird Halloween party. And he's going to slide in and he's going to try and pull this off on his dad. That's the next verse. And he came to his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. Whoa. Just reel that back for a moment. I am Esau your son, your firstborn. First lie. I have done as you told me. Get up, please sit and eat of my game that you may bless me. The lie was laid out there so smoothly. It almost looks like he didn't blink with it. Go to the next verse, chapter, or verse 20. Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have it so quickly, my son? And he said, because the Lord your God caused it to happen to me. So first he conspires with his mom. Then he agrees to imitate his brother. And he lies to his father the first time. And now he's compounding his deceit on top of deceit by going to the awful length of dragging God into it. How do you have the venison so quick? God blessed me. At that moment, I'm going to be stepping away and watching for the lightning bolt. Because it's pretty dangerous to bring God into that scenario. Verse 21, then Isaac said to Jacob, please come close that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob came close to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. So there's similar stature, there's similar walk, they're twins. I don't think that they're identical twins, obviously, but there's enough similarity here. It's, it's hard to tell them apart. The voices are close, but they're not the same. Verse 24, and he said, are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. So he said, bring it to me, and I will eat of my son's game that I may bless you. And he brought it to him, and he ate, and he also brought him wine and drink, and he drank. And his then his father Isaac said to him, please come close and kiss me, my son. So he came close and kissed him. And when he smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. You've got the aroma of a hunter on you. You're the guy who lives in the woods. I know that it's real. And Rebecca knew that about her husband, that he would feel the garments and then smell the garments. And it alleviates his fear because of his son's flat-out betrayal. And so the blessing is given. Verse 28. Now may God give you the dew of heaven 
and of the fatness of the earth, and an abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you, and blessed be those who bless you. And Jacob has been waiting to hear that for years. May your mother's sons bow down to you. He got what he wanted. And it's the echo of Abraham's own blessings from God. May those who bless you be blessed. May those who curse you be cursed. And Isaac repeats it right here. And there's no reason for us to linger on the pathetic outcome because no sooner does Jacob leave his father's presence and go out the back door than the real Esau comes in the front door. Verse 30. Now it came about, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had hardly gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, that Esau his brother came in from his hunting. Then he also made savory food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. Isaac his father said to him, who are you? And he said, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled violently. I want to encourage you, if you have your own Bible open this morning, to underline that because that's a key part of what's going on here. Then Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was he that hunted game and brought it to me so that I ate of all of it before you came and blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. Speculating, but there's likely a couple very long pauses in the midst of that final sentence. Did you notice that when Isaac discovered that he has blessed the wrong son, he blessed Jacob instead of Esau, that he trembles violently? I want to help you to understand what's going on here because this is the turning point in the events of this drama. Up till now, it's been very dark, full of manipulation and deceit, and the families lying to each other. And this is the first time that light breaks in on this very dark scene. That statement in verse 33, it's one of the few examples, one of the great acts of faith that's recorded of the life of Isaac. You can read the last few chapters, 25, 26, 27, 28, and you won't find too many things attributed to the life of Isaac as being a great man of faith. But this is one. Let me expand on it for you. It's actually quite beautiful to note that he does not curse Jacob. Because in that moment, you would think that would be his reaction because he's been tricked. But Isaac is realizing what has happened is that God has graciously overruled his bad decision. And it's why you find him in self-judgment, trembling and shaking right to the very core. If you will, this is his come-to-Jesus moment. And it's found within those words, and he shall be blessed. So you need to make sure that you understand this. See, he knew that God had just secured what had been declared before his sons were ever even born. And this horror is awakening in Isaac's soul. He's realized that he's been pitting himself against the God of the universe, against the very mind and the will of God. Look with me at verse 33 and bear down on it. Then Isaac trembled violently. And the Hebrew word in your notes this morning is this word harad. And it means to shudder with anxiety. This is fear off the charts. We need to understand what is being related here. 
because this is not the reaction of anger, and this is not the reaction of confusion. This is a visceral reaction of fear because in this moment, Isaac realizes he's been caught. He's been caught toying with God and trying to circumvent the perfect will of God. You know as you sit here that Isaac knew about the twins, what had been relayed to Rebekah by God himself while the twins are still in her womb. There's a reason for all the fighting, Rebecca, that's going on. The older is going to serve the younger. These two are at war. But you can also tell by the way that Isaac speaks here and Esau's response. Check it this way. The, the gospel according to Mark, okay? Hear it this way. This is Isaac saying, what did I just do? Who was it that I tried to give this blessing to? What has happened here? Because in this moment, there's this realization emphatically within the way that Isaac responds and he finishes out the realization. Look with me on the screen. Yes, he shall be blessed. In other words, okay, I give. I get it. There's no undoing this. He's going to be blessed. It's God's purposes that this would happen. And in this moment, you find Isaac the patriarch stopping his fight against God, realizing that he's been going with his own will, his own strategies for Esau to get the advantage. It's God who brought the blessing to Jacob despite all of the deception. So Isaac has to step back and say, all right, I get it. God, yes, he remains blessed. So I understand Isaac's faith is absolutely legitimate. I expect to see him in heaven one day, but he's got failure in his life just like we all do. But even bigger than that, this shows us that the God of the Bible, when God wants to work his purposes, he will work his purposes. God brings all things to pass according to his plan. Let's go forward and close this out. Verse 34, when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also, my father. See, Esau's been a spectator to this so far. And now he's piecing together mentally all the details of his brother's deceit. And he not only fumes with rage, he also experiences what Isaac is experiencing. He also realizes he's been fighting against God, but he still wants God's blessing. Even though he's married the two vulgar Canaanite women, even though he's choosing his own path, he still knows my life is not going to turn out so well if God isn't with me. I want a blessing too. Isaac's response, verse 35, and he said, your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. I, I think that's an error on Isaac's part to say it that way. Because I told you that the blessing, the patriarchal blessing, belongs to the person who has the birthright, and Jacob has the birthright. So if your Bible actually has a caption above the paragraph that says the stolen blessing, that's kind of wrong in the sense that the patriarchal blessing belongs to the one who has the birthright. Verse 36, this is Esau speaking, by the way. Then he said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. 
He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Jacob's name actually doesn't mean deceiver. A lot of people think that it does. That would not be accurate in the Hebrew language. It means the one who trips. Remember when they were born, when they came out of the womb, Jacob is still holding on to the heel of his brother Esau. And Esau calls him the supplanter. The one who grabs you by the heel and causes you to trip and stumble. That's why he says this about his brother. Is he not rightly named Jacob? Because he's been tripping me up my whole life. Verse 37, but Isaac replied to Esau, Behold, I have made him your master, and all his relatives I have given to him as servants. And with grain and new wine I have sustained him. Now, as for you then, what can I do, my son? Verse 38, Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O oh, my father. So Esau lifted up his voice and wept. This is really a very sad scene. You're watching the consequences of deception and the grief that comes along with it. And the deceit has led to chaos, and it produces more sin, leading to nothing but grief. So what Isaac can say to him is not a blessing, but it's a projection of the future. And the future is true even to this day. Verse 39, then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live, and your brother you shall serve. But it shall come about when you become restless that you will break his yoke from your neck. So Esau bore a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days for mourning my father are near then I will kill my brother Jacob. Jacob has obtained the blessing. He has the birthright and the blessing, but it also leads to the reason for his very quick departure from his home, from his country, and from his family. And in the end, God will bring good out of it. It's going to lead him to meet his wife. And when he meets his wife, and he marries, and he stays where he's going, he's going to see the 12 sons born to him, who are the 12 sons of Israel, who become known as the 12 tribes of Israel, so God will bring good out of it. But the picture of the conclusion for Esau is that of a bitter, spiteful, angry individual. Verse 42, now when the words of her elder son Esau were reported to Rebekah, she sent and called her younger son Jacob and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau is consoling himself concerning you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice and arise and flee to Haran to my brother Laban. Stay with him a few days until your brother's fury subsides. Uh-huh. That is an optimistic mother. Moms always want to believe that their kids are going to get along. Verse 45, until your brother's anger against you subsides and he forgets what you did to him. Then I will send and get you from there. Yeah, right. He doesn't forget. It becomes the part of why Scripture goes the direction that it does. You'll see that in a couple weeks. In reality, Jacob is never going to see his mother again on planet Earth. He's going to end up staying with his uncle Laban for 20 years. And I told you that Laban is a piece of work. You're going to find out in a couple weeks. 
For 20 years, he has to serve under Laban because he becomes entrapped in almost a slavery situation. It is very difficult to say who is most to blame for this fiasco, whether it's Isaac or it's Rebekah or it's Esau or it's Jacob or all four of them put together. God directly made known to them his purposes and what he intended to do. So here's one big takeaway from this. This story relays to each one of us the consequences of trying to work outside of God's purposes, trying to make things work our way instead of going before God and saying, what is your will in this? I'm very comforted to know that in the end of this story, none of the scheming defeated the purposes of God because the purposes of God, they last forever, right, church? That's what Scripture says, Proverbs 19, 21, many plans are in a man's heart but the counsel of the Lord will stand. That verse should be emblazoned on every government building in the United States of America. God will accomplish His purposes. And even when you think things aren't going to work out together for good, God can bring good out of evil. And if you think there's a lot of evil going on in our country right now, you could look at that verse and say, God, you got an opportunity here to bring a lot of good. But the purposes of God will stand. It's pretty clear that Isaac should have never tried to go around God. Esau is complicit because he knows none of this activity in trying to get the blessing back is in keeping with what God's plan was. And Rebekah should have trusted the Lord to bring about His purposes in His timing. But she feels what many of us feel. She feels the temptation to just kind of help God out just a little bit, presuming that God needs our help. And then there's Jacob. And you're going to learn about him next time because we can't get into his story now. This whole family has been working to circumvent God. And when they did, they set up a chain of events that spiraled out of their control. But we follow the God who works around bad circumstances and around bad decisions to bring about his plan to pass. Once again, God has given us proof that he will not be mocked. He is always capable of carrying out what He plans to do. So He does intervene in the ways of mankind to bring good out of evil, Romans 8.28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. That does not mean that everything you're going through right now is going to feel good. And we certainly would all heartily say, amen to that. We get that. So it does not mean that everything you're going through is going to feel good when you're going through it. But what it does mean is that God can and does cause things to work together for His good purposes. So here's a big nugget for you to carry out the door with you. You personally may have a history of bad decisions, maybe even bad circumstances that are going on right now or even to the degree that there's deceit within your family or within your own life. Do not think that God cannot work through those circumstances to bring forth good. And as you will see in the life of Jacob, bad choices in your life, bad decisions in your life do not disqualify you from being used mightily by God for His purposes. But the truth of that statement is this. That's only true if you are in a relationship with God. And that relationship begins with having a relationship with Jesus Christ, His Son, who died for our sins on the cross, 
who will stand in eternity one day and you will look at him and say, I can't believe you died for me, the King of kings and the Lord of glory. If you want to know more about having a relationship with him, if that is something that you long for, you feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit, you want to be forgiven of your sins, I'm going to be right here in the front after the service. I would be honored to speak with you. And if we've never met, I'd be honored to speak with you also. There will be individuals over in the prayer room this morning, and they would love to pray with you as well. So you decide how you would like to respond. Pick up the E2 e-books on the way out the door this morning. But before you go, can I pray with you? Let's pray together. Father, we never want to be found guilty of getting ahead of you and working outside of your plan. I thank you for the leadership in this church, the individuals that have set the pace is to keep in step with you and not get ahead of you. I pray that that would be true of each of us who call this church our home, that if we follow you, God, that we would be looking for your will and your purposes in our life and not be trying to outpace you and outsmart you and outwork you, but rather to yield to your ways. So God, we come before you right now asking that the decisions that we make this day and this week and a month from now would be in keeping with your will for our life. And we know that you intend things for good and you want us to choose paths that would be good. Thank you for being gracious and giving us second chances when we miss them. But also, Father, we ask that you would cause us to lean into you more and more and more and ask for your purposes in our life. And God, we recognize that causes, that requires humility on our part. So that's what I'm asking for. Take us to that place where we're humble enough to stop and ask what you would have us do. I pray that your blessing would rest on all these people who are gathered and all those who are watching virtually from home. Send us out now, Father, with your hand on us for having spent time in your word and worshiping you. We ask for this in the matchless name of the one who died for us, the Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen. Have a great week.